you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. My name is Janine Garner and it is always a pleasure to welcome you from wherever you are listening to this episode today. Um, I'm just so excited to see so many more people joining me on this podcast from around the world and I hope that wherever you are, you are finding inspiration in the conversations that we are having, uh, getting some aha moments and above all, able to take some tips and tools to take in to your everyday life. Um, As some of you may have uh, read or listened to as part of the intro, um, for me, this podcast uh, really was launched because I wanted to understand what unleashing brilliance means to other people. You know, what makes successful people successful? I absolutely believe that everybody has a story, everybody has experience, everybody has the good, the bad and the ugly of their life to now and those watershed moments that have driven them to where they are today. And this essentially is what I like to explore and share through this forum of the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. This podcast is about exploring how do successful individuals find their point of difference and their passion? You know, what drives them through the good and the not so good times? And sometimes we uncover their superpower. You know, how have they unleashed their own level of brilliance. It's an absolute joy to bring you today's guest. Um, Kelly Slezer is a digital empathologist, she calls herself. She is the founder of Shop You, which is an artificially intelligent personal stylist. And her focus is on not only driving uh, the digital conversion and sale, but connecting that creating emotional connections. Um, So connecting it with human beings and developing the technology that really solves uh, true customer problems. Kelly began her life in the UK and her career in the UK with British Telecom, which is the UK's largest telco. And she's worked with some incredible and iconic brands, including Westfield, Woolworths, Glue Store, Big W, Shopo, uh, Suncorp, uh, Lendlease. Um, what we uncover in this uh, in this podcast are some awesome startup lessons. Uh, Kelly went from being a uh, corporate employee to having this dream and this passion and this idea, and she shares on this podcast some of her lessons um, as part of being a startup. Um, also, some wonderful lessons from her dad, um, as well as the need to absolutely surround yourself with the right people who are going to give you feedback from a good place versus the irrelevant place. And she talks at length about how um, at this stage in her life, she's increasing her level of curiosity around what is it that's driving her decisions? Uh, Why does she believe what she believes? And what is she learning about herself that 
ultimately she is able to continue to start developing and improving herself so that she continues to pursue her passion, uh, do the great work and leave the impact that she wants to leave on the planet. Please enjoy this episode when I talk to the fabulous Kelly Slezer. Well, it's fabulous to have you on the show today, Kelly. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And we're both uh, recording this in self-isolation uh, during this crazy COVID-19 quarantine time. And let's just record that. You never know, in many years' time, we might listen back and go, wow, remember that moment? How's life for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, four walls are closing in slightly. Um, we're, but, but you know what? It's a nice time to kind of be reflective. It's a nice time to um be digital which is what I do so you know there's some real upsides to it yeah I can't wait to uh to explore your world of of digital but before we get there um so anyone listening in can probably uh pick up that myself and Kelly neither of us are from Australia originally, and we've both got strange accents, I'm sure. Um, where where did life start for you, Kelly? Oh, I grew up in a place called Hemel Hempstead, which is just north of London. Um, I was actually born in Simmonsdale, which my husband finds amusing. I don't know why, because it's in Liverpool, a posh part of Liverpool, I used to say. Um, and then, then um, came to Australia about 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Wow. And can you remember what your childhood was like? Can you remember back to, you know, being a a younger version of Kelly and what your childhood was like at the time? Um, Yeah, we had, we had this big street kids thing going on. We had like every, every other door was a, a house full of kids and we just used to play. We had a big, park out the back or a big green field out the back and we used to play run outs and hide and seek and get in trouble and climb trees and fall out of trees and break arms and yeah it was um it was I it was a great place to grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up can you remember oh wow so I remember I think I wanted to be a lot of things I wanted to be a ballerina at one point um, but I, I think I was too unco. My teacher told me I was too tall, but then I realized later in life, you actually can't be too tall to be a ballerina. So I think I was just unco. Um, a presenter. I did a presenting course for a while. And then um, I actually wanted to be a computer scientist. Wow. And now when I grow up, I want to be a neuroscientist. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, I think I've always loved tech. My dad was a, a CNC engineer. Um, so basically he built machines. I suppose it was the early days of AI. He built machines that programmed, um, uh, that basically, um, that made things essentially. So he programmed machines to make things. Um, and when I was about probably about five or six, he brought home a BBC computer. Um, and I was fascinated by it. You could only type commands on it. And there was like, a script that you could type and then you could make it put dots on the screen or put dots in shapes of houses or lines and I I thought it was amazing. And did he uh did he tell you about what he did you reckon that's the first moment that you started getting curious about technology and its possibility? Yeah he used to come home with 
things that had been made from the machines that he'd programmed. And I, I thought that was just amazing. But I think on the other side, actually, one thing that I was thinking about this morning um, or, or when you asked that question was he actually trained to be a doctor. So he went to medical school. And I think in the last year he had to drop out because he um, got someone pregnant. Um, but he trained to be a doctor. So I think the two combined I'm I'm coining myself as a digital empathologist. So I really have a, a I love technology, but I also want to figure out the connect and I love the connection with people. So I'm try I always try and figure out how to bring the two together. I love that term, digital empathologist. Now where on earth did you create that? I haven't heard that one before. Or is it a, a Kellyism? No, neither am I. I don't it is a Kellyism. I don't even think it exists. I just made it up. I don't. The empathologist is not a word. <laughs> empathology like it, is a study. It's a study of people and understanding consumer behaviour. So, and that's that's kind of what I do in a digital world. And why is it so, so important? It. In your mind? Yeah. Now, and I think it's also why why in your mind is it so important that the two things, technology and people, are studied together. Are part and parcel of the same uh, sense making that you're going through when you're making decisions? Because um, I think at the end of every piece of technology, at the end of every piece of code, at the end of every website is a real person, a real person with feelings, a real person with um, issues, problems they're trying to solve, with children in the background who are making too much noise. There's, there's, there's a real person there. And I think in order to really connect with them, as a brand, as a consultant, as anyone, you have to work out what they need. And the only way to work out what they need is to have empathy for their journey. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Because everybody's needs are so different, right? And how can mm. you possibly solve mm. that if you don't know? So, so as people are probably picking up, um, Kelly um, is an expert, a thought leader in, in the space of technology and will be coming on shortly. Uh, to talk about what she's doing now. But can you remember, uh, Kelly, a specific watershed moment for you um, that when you look back, you go, wow, yes, that's, that's, where, that's the first step of me getting to where I am now. What are some of the watershed moments in your, in your life to hear? So when I left um, uni, I joined British Telecom as a graduate trainee, and it was supposed to be a quick job to pay for me to go off and travel for um, for a couple of years. Four years later, um, I launched and worked as part of a team who launched the first voice over IP service in the UK. Imagine that, voice over IP. So literally just us talking over the internet, um, which we're doing right now. But back then, it was such a big thing. And, and the quality was terrible. and uh, it was it was expensive and it didn't really work, but but we launched it and and that was kind of the beginning of where we are now. And then during that time, um, I got to work on a project called Sainsbury's The Store of the Future, and it was looking at how we use technology in a retail space. So what what does what does actually helping 
customers look like from a technology point of view. And again, it was before we had Wi-Fi in stores and it's before we had, um, you know, connectivity in stores. Um, And we were looking at, you know, what the future might look like. And one of the I remember one of the earlier kind of concepts was these big scanning devices on shopping trolleys that were as big as a mainframe computer. They were huge. It was like it's stuck on a trolley and you walked around and you could basically scan your own own food as you were walking around the supermarket. And I think that's where I found my love of retail, my love of technology and my love of customers um, and what it meant to the customer. And since then, you've pretty much embraced everything technology. Um, what is it that you're, you're doing there? Can you quickly share what you're doing there? So um, I, about two years ago, we launched a platform called ShopU, which is a, an artificially intelligent um, personal styling service. Um, and recently, we partnered with Lendlease to launch a physical version of that, so a premium service. So anyone working within a particular commercial area can get access to a runner, a stylist, a place to try on, and it's all powered by the AI platform. And then all your um, returns are managed hands-free, so that's all done for you. So we're due to launch that service. We were actually due to launch it this month. Um, it was actually due to launch tomorrow. Um, but we've, we've delayed it until the world returns to some form of stability and normality. Um, so in the background, we're, we're working on the platform. So it's pretty exciting. I think in light of what's happening in retail, um, it's a really exciting area to be in. So you talked about having to make some changes with regards to everything that's, that's happening now. Looking back, um, what's one of the, the greatest hurdles that you've had to overcome uh, in terms of getting to where you're at now? Um, I think there's been lots of hurdles. Funding. Um, so, so being in the startup world, um, you know, and, and raising investment has been a massive challenge. There's There's a couple of things working against me and not not that you ever want to go into a kind of victim mentality, but the reality is um, a woman talking to men in suits about artificial intelligence and fashion um, it is not, it's not an easy feat. Um, and it's not, um, it's not the norm. So you're up against bias immediately and you're fighting a, um, you're fighting an industry that actually doesn't really understand or um, fully appreciate what technology can do and how it can impact um, customers and how it's going to change the future. So you're kind of up against a few things. That's probably one of my biggest challenges over the last year, I would say. And how how have you tackled that? How did you, what did you do to try and overcome those very clear uh, biases and uh, existing opinions, and um, I'm imagining people sort of stuck in their ways in terms of thinking about what is possible versus, oh, sorry, what isn't possible versus what is possible. What advice would you give to people? I think I've had to 
really understand the financials, which isn't isn't my strong point. The commercials, um, I love technology. I love all things consumer psychology, but the commercials is probably not my strongest point. So I've had to really work hard in that area and be able to talk to the financials really and, and be able to articulate where the business is going. I've had to work on the vision and the big picture and being able to, um, again, articulate that. Um, but then equally, I've really had to own the technology piece. So I've had, you know, a couple of comments along the way where people have said, um, I've had some some crackers where, where someone said to me, so you really need a, a um, CIO, you really need someone to, to manage the technology. And although I'm not a coder, um, I have managed technology most of my life. So, and the, you know, the the view immediately is that I'm looking after the kind of fashion side of things, which is actually not my area at all. So I've had to really own the technology piece and talk to it confidently instead of talking about the solution. Um, and the knowledge is there. It's just a case of, of, of really, I suppose, overemphasizing it and talking about what the stack looks like and what the platform is and stuff that I try and shy away from, or I not shy away from, but I try not to talk about when I'm with customers because it's not customer language. So if I were to talk to you about a technology stack or, you know, about the various um, the various types of um, algorithms we could use um, and neural networks, you would switch off in about two seconds and get bored. So I tend to talk about what it means from a customer point of view rather than the technology that sits behind it. But I've actually had to, um, in front of investors and in front of, um, you know, um, potential investors, talk to the technology piece a bit more and really kind of be, be okay with, with talking about the technology and owning that piece. And what was, when did you realise that you had to change your angle, evolve your angle um, to actually become more influential? with 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 this product with your message to market what was a moment when you looking back you went yeah that's when I realized the penny dropped that I had to do things differently I think it's been a gradual process actually I think every single time you pitch to someone you know what I'm really open to is feedback so I ask people for for their honest feedback so every time you 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 pitch to someone I think people have given me feedback and I've gone oh I need to change that or you know, the other thing is when you when you are when you're with people you really trust is sharing with them where your insecurities are and then pulling them out. So that's been that's been quite a prominent moment. I've also worked with a coach who has really pulled out some of my areas um, of um, I suppose my my areas, my gaps. And, and help me kind of recognize where they are. Mm. So that takes a lot of, a, sorry, takes a lot of, I don't know. No, if, I'm just, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of personal uh, bravery and willingness to become more self-aware, to be open to feedback too though, right? I mean, people can say they're open to feedback, but you and I both know that you can listen but not hear. Um, what do you think yeah. is that different? What makes the difference between being open to feedback and doing something with it versus listening but still sticking your heels in and going, 
in your own direction? I think it's a personal timing thing because there's probably a lot of feedback I've been given over the time that I haven't actually implemented or taken on board. And then someone will say it. And, and this is something that happens with my husband. He'll go, well, I told you that. And maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind at the time to listen. So I think it's, it's being in it, the, the feedback being given in the right timing at the right time, the feedback being given by the right person. And you being in a right place when you're open to it. But I think you're more open to it when you're more um, secure in your concept or idea. Mm. And I think because I've got more secure in the concept, the idea and what we're trying to do and what the future and vision looks like, I think I've been more open to taking on the feedback. So when we think this. No, I think I I I think you're absolutely spot on in terms of when you build conviction in your idea and you start uh, believing in yourself and possibility. It almost feeds the confidence to keep going and the hunger to want to keep evolving because almost the the vision and the f- and the passion take over any. Um, any uh, sense of um, negativity about yourself, you want to keep moving forward and growing and, and developing. Um, and I think that's, that's the key. Um, this this pod, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, I think you also develop a stronger sense of what feedback is coming from a good place and what feedback is, is not relevant or, you know, I, I always say that, um, but one one saying that really stands out for me is, um, you know, you can't you can't tell me what to do unless you've been in the ring. Like unless you've been punched yourself, unless you've kind of been through the process, then it's really hard for you to come from a place of experience and give me really good feedback. That That's not always the case, but in a lot of cases it is. And I think as you become more confident in your yourself, you become, you know, you own your story a bit more. I think what happens is you're able to filter out those people who may have good intentions, but equally those people who have no good intentions whatsoever, filter it all out and go, this is the stuff that's actually going to help propel me forward. Mm. And I think when you're in a place of insecurity or not owning it, I think it's very easy to just get caught up in, you know, this is, this may be, this may, may benefit me, it may not. Yeah. Um, I love that saying. I think Brené Brown also put it as, you know, choose who you're, she talks about the concept of gladiators and gladiators choosing who to be in the ring with. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners are nodding their heads and going, yeah, absolutely. My my next question really is, you know, how, how do you work out whether people are giving you feedback with the right intention or not? Um, maybe on reflection, you can share an example where it was definitely not from the wrong right place you know how do you work out the difference how do you how do you build the muscle to be able to determine who's in the arena with you and who isn't in the arena with you I think it goes back to your um you know your your absolute uh, amazing insight and IP Janine around the networking piece you know when you surround yourself with the right people that gives you the insight because if there's anything anyone ever says to you that you question, if you've got the right people around you, you you can go and double bounce it basically and make Mm. sure that 
you know, if it doesn't feel right to you. But I think also, um, and I work with um, a lady, Rachel, who um, wrote a book called Intuitive Intelligence, and it is amazing. I think also she has helped build up that muscle of intuition, of knowing when it comes from the right place or not. Or, or not. Um, and I, I think, you know, most people have good intentions, um, mm. but sometimes just the advice is just so so far away from where you need to be or where you should be or what you should be doing and I think it's just trying to recognize that who who's been one of the most influential people in your life and why um I would say my dad totally um he just had such an attitude of um his thing that he used to say to me is there's no such word as can't he used to repeat that to me over and over again. Um, so I always believe there's a way. I always believe there's a possibility. Um, it's just about mapping it out. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say my dad, definitely. What else do you think he, he instilled in you in terms of building, you know, this incredible individual that is you who um, has moved countries, uh, left a corporate environment, done a startup, started a startup, pivoted and changed, but still with the single-minded vision in place. You're a mom, wonderful husband, two kids. Um, you know, what, what else did he give you when you look back, do you think? I think he gave me um, confidence. You know, he really instilled in me that. I'm enough. And sometimes, you know, I fall off the wagon on that and everyone does. I think that's our biggest thing in life, that we we just don't feel we're enough. I think he gave me the confidence. I think being brought up by a single parent in a very male, in a male household, um, my dad and my brother and me, um, I think that um, having a seat at the table was never a question. Whether I should be at the table or not was never, ever a question. Whether I could, you know, um, build something, um, you know, do woodwork, do technology, cook something, clean something was, was never a question. We just, the three of us just chipped in and got on with it. So I think I've never questioned, um, I, I've probably never really questioned gender. I've never really questioned, um, I see it, I see the issues, but I don't, for me personally, I don't, I never question whether, um, if someone questions whether I should be at the table, then I question them. Mm. Nice. That's nice. So people listening to this, um, you know, one of the, one of the key elements of this podcast is this concept of unleashing brilliance of becoming your best self. What what would you say to our listeners about what that means for you? Um I think I've been on a big journey with that recently, even more so now than ever. Um and I think as we hit our early 40s, really early 40s, maybe even late 30s. <laughs> Um, I, I think we, I, I know a lot of my friends are going through a process at the moment of trying to understand more about themselves. And I think, um, understanding 
why I do the things I do and what drives me is is so such an empowering process. So going back, going back to childhood a bit and understanding, you know, where some of my behaviours came from and why I behave the way I do has been has been such an amazing, empowering process. Um, and also being able to kind of question myself. So I, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know what's ego and what's what's actually me and what's what's kind of learnt behaviour from others around me and what's the learnt behaviour from others around me that's good behaviour and what's the learnt behaviour from others around me that's bad behaviour. Questioning how I react in situations and whether I'm you know um, whether I'm reacting based on ego. I ask myself that question a lot actually. Um, whether I'm reacting to a situation based on an ego or whether I'm react- uh, reacting to it based on what actually is the right way to, to, to answer a question or to behave in this particular circumstance. So I think it's a constant journey and it, um, it's empowering. I'm loving it. Mm. You talked to the air about... question. Yeah, I'm going to delve a little bit further, though, because, you know, that's what I do. You yeah. talked, you talked oh, a little no. bit there about um this need to start questioning yourself and uh what mm-hmm. is learnt behavior and why i believe or think or act like i do and then you mentioned there the continuing question that you have about trying to understand your reactions um you know and, and i think you're right i think you do hit this stage in life where there's a lot of self uh reflection and retrospective thinking and and trying to work out why we are who we are. What sort of things have you discovered about yourself in that process? Um, oh, that's a really, that's a deep question, Janine. I don't think I've had enough coffee for that one. Um, what have I discovered about myself? Um, I, I think, what have I discovered about myself? I've probably worked out why I um why what things trigger me so that's been a big a big interesting process for me is to try and understand why things just drive me insane so it let I'll give you a a work environment or a you know an example of a um uh uh work in uh, work related answer so if Let's say that guy who kind of said, oh, you need a CIO or can I speak to your CTO was the other thing. Um, Another one said to me, this will never work without you having a um, someone who can run the technology. And my instant reaction was was kind of a two fingers up and to um, to walk away. Um, And it, it actually made me really angry because, you know, I've been acting CTO I built out this platform which for me and and if you look around Australia there's there's nothing like it in the retail space there's nothing that does personalization there's nothing that that combines that with a the marketplace there's nothing that um then looks at individual consumer needs and and collect data so to be told that I cannot I cannot possibly succeed without having someone who's who's got um who is good at technology or can can do the technology for me after two years of building it out myself and 20 years of building out technology for others. It's just, it, it just got me. And I think it goes back to, and I had to go back and understand why it got me so much. And in order to understand why it got me so much in, in the process of understanding that, I think 
what you do is you come out with a different reaction to it. So rather than the two fingers up, I'm just going to walk out the room and, you know, or get defensive or go into a place of insecurity, actually going through that journey of understanding why it triggered me and then working out actually what's the best way to respond to that. And the best way to respond to that is to tell him that and call him out on it was the first thing. And then secondly, was to not go and seek advice from that person ever again. Mm. He's not he's not in my network. He's not someone I trust. He's not someone I need to trust. Mm. It's interesting. And it doesn't make him um, a bad person. Nah, nah, not at all. It's it's what you're what you're talking to is um, when I was in Boston last year, one of the things we talked a lot about was the voices in our heads, the the multiple hundreds and thousands of voices in our heads that um, are influencing our decision-making, are influencing our behaviours, are influencing how we react to each other. And uh, Professor Ron Heifetz at the time split them into these three groups of people. He talked about the professional voices, um, you know, the ones that we are unconsciously listening to that tell us how we should behave at work or in this position of authority or as this as this type of person doing this job and we've all got those professional voices it could be you know even down to university lecturers and you've done this degree and therefore you should be, be doing this stuff um, the second group of voices that he talked about were social voices so family and friends um, society, all of the stuff that we unconsciously listening listen to that dictates how we think we should be behaving as a result of where we're at in life. And the third group of voices um, are what he called ancestral voices. So the voices that go way, 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 way back, um, that are almost passed down through generation. Um, and a lot of it, um, we can't even begin to understand because it's only when we sit and look back and we go, oh my God, you know, that's what my great grandmother would tell me, or I can understand why my parents were like that because of where they came from, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I think it's, 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 it's that combined with this, this increased level of self-awareness that actually needs all of us to to slow down, to understand how we interact, how we make decisions, how we therefore move forward. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think, I think this time of kind of being insular um, is allowing us to do that as well, um, provides us time to do that. Um, I think it's, it's such an important process because I think, like, you know, you always talk about owning your journey, owning your story. And unless you kind of go back to that, you can't really do it. Mm. Mm, that's right. So what's, what's um, one thing that you've got better at saying no to? Um, I have got better at saying no to... Giving up my time for um, without me seeing value. So value may not be for me. It may be for the other person. But unless sometimes people will call me and say, can you have a look at this technology platform? Can you um, mentor someone on this or can you provide some guidance on this? And I'll do it. But then 
the value isn't really realized because either they don't do anything with it, they don't change anything, or they just don't commit to the funding that they need to actually do the, the project. So I've got really good at asking some questions up front to see whether they're going to extract value from it or give value from it um, and saying no if I can't see that quickly. I love that. What sort of questions do you ask? So from a technology point of view, I now totally ask them about budgets, which I never used to ask before because it was always an icky place to be. No one wants to know. No one wants to have money conversations early on. You kind of you're always like, oh, I want to build up a relationship first. But actually, um, it's really important. It's a really important question, because if there's no if there's no in terms of building stuff out, if there's no budgets associated with it, then they haven't really thought through what they're going to do and how they're going to get there. So it really is an indicator of whether operationally they've thought about the tactical steps they need to make to get get to the end point. Um, the other question I ask everyone is who their customer is, and I get them to talk through their customer journey. Um, so for me, most people get there. Some people don't. Some people will continue to say, especially in retail, will continue to say, my customer's everyone. And I can't – I'm very – strong on not working with people who believe their customer is everyone because we will never ever um get to a point where we we you know reach a point of value or convert everyone so we'll just spend a lot of time running around trying to do things and convert no one or convert a couple of people for a lot of effort so that's probably one of my flags as well um yeah, they're probably the main two, actually. Budgets and then understanding the customer are probably my main. And then who have you got to support this now? So I suppose previously I was always, you know, I can help out with support. And now I'm, I'm very clear on who's, who's supporting this platform, who's, who's actually going to do the tactical work that needs to be done to get you to where you need to go. Mm. Mm, that's cool. Now, uh, before we finish up, there's obviously a whole lot of stuff going on in the world of tech right now. And I think uh, we were talking offline about how the conversation about digital has evolved um, so quickly, actually, in the last couple of weeks with so many mm. people starting to have to use online. What do, what do you see, um, you know, if you had that wonderful crystal ball, what, what do you think are some of the things that are going to change or even some of the things that we should be starting to look at, consider um, when it comes to how this industry is evolving? Well, I think um, what I've seen with, with the retailers that I've worked with, um, and I'm in a group with about 40 of them, you know, what I've seen over the last few weeks is there's been this state of you know, how's this going to impact me? Rightly so. The first question we all ask is, how is this going to impact me? And then once they've got through kind of that process, there's a, okay, well, what what next? What what can I do now today that is going to have an impact? So things like in hospitality, adding um, delivery services, as, as you know, I've seen some business just turn that around really quickly, launching new websites. I've, turned, I've seen retailers launching websites overnight. Now, these things going back six months ago took six months to launch, and now they're doing it in, in one night you know, or two nights and launching a new service. So I think what we will see from a digital perspective is an absolute acceleration. So we talk about um, 10% of um, e-commerce being online now. 
And in by 2024, we thought that would get to around about 30%. That's going to accelerate a lot quicker. We're going to see that curve go up because at the moment, what we're doing is we're training people to be online. So we're, we're all literally on, on Kelly's training course and, and we're training people to be, um, to be um, more digitally um, enabled. Um, you look at, you know, Zoom at the moment, we're all doing virtual calls. There's, there's some wonderful um, ideas that are coming out of this. So I think, I think what we'll see in the very short term is people looking at what does the next iteration of my business look like? Because the, the, the future's changed. There's a new future now. And, and COVID has had a massive impact on that future. Um, so what, what, where, I, where I was thinking, you know, in two years, I might get to a personalized site or a marketplace or a digital platform, um, or I might grow or add to my digital platform. Now I'm going in six weeks. How can I get there? How can I get there? Because I need to change my model and it needs to be a digitally focused model. Equally, what will happen is acquisition will become harder because we're now all operating in a digital space. So it will, the messages will get diluted. So I think going back to your kind of bringing out brilliance, Janine, and, and owning that, it's going to be those people that can shine through, that have a really um, good story, have great content, have a clear message on what they are, who they are, and who they're talking to. Um, that are the ones that are going to shine through. So I, I think in terms of the short-term future, we'll just see massive digital acceleration, which is hugely exciting for me. Um, I think in terms of the long-term, I think innovation will happen a lot quicker. So things like holograms and, um, you know, cashless society, um, things like um, total virtual stores, um, things like um, uh, like a social um, social shopping is is going to happen a lot quicker than we thought it was going to happen. Mm. And what are some of the risks? So with speed, because I'm seeing a lot of people speed up implementation. Um, does that have risks with it too? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think the risks are um, security, privacy. Um, you know, and, and being prepared for, because as more of us go online, there's also more people online that can hack systems that can do do various things with our data. So the, the risks are there, um, you know, around cybersecurity is going to be, be one of the biggest risks. Um, I think the other risk is going to be that I think people get caught up in the technology piece and not in their actual product or service or what it is that they're brilliant at. So they spend way too much time in the technology and trying to build out these amazing solutions that are all singing or dancing um, without actually testing them quickly. Um, And it diverts their attention away from what they're actually brilliant at doing. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And we're seeing a lot of that. And, and I think taking people out of their lane to just get something to market, there's, there's, there's still an element of commercial patience, I think, that all of us need to consider when it comes to uh, going to market, making sure you're doing the right thing that supports your expertise and skill base. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get um, Kelly, going back to your dad, mm. if we could um, – somehow magically get him on this podcast right now. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Stop it. 
what would you say to him? What would you say to him? Oh, um, wow. That's, that's a tough one, Janine. That's almost cruel. <laughs> um, what would I say to him? I would just thank him. I would just be, yeah, very grateful. Very grateful for everything he taught me, for the resilience, for the ability to, in your words, yin and yang, is it? Yin and yang? Mm-hmm. Um, for the ability to bring people and, and people together and, and connect in either a virtual or physical way, I would, I would, I would just thank him. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Gorgeous. And finally, um, you know, we often, we talked at the very beginning about what you wanted to be when you grew up mm-hmm. and we're often asked, you know, what do we want to be? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? My, my bigger question is what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for I think saving people time. I really do. I go, you know, technology is there to save people time. That's all it's there for. It really isn't there, you know, and, and whether that be you could argue that um like if you take TikTok as an example, is that really saving people time? Well, it is actually because it, it it's an entertainment platform that is very easily accessible and it teaches people lots of things along the way and allows people to be entertained in short format. So I would like to be remembered for saving people, giving people back time, using technology to give people back time. Nice. Mm. Very nice. Uh, TikTok, hilarious. Um, I'm not sure my daughter daughter would agree if you were to see my lovely TikTok efforts on her page. It's actually quite embarrassing. I've actually I actually use it to make fun of myself. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that what you're allowed to do as a forty odd year old? Yeah. Um, Kelly, it's just been an absolute joy to chat with you. Thank you for uh, sharing all of the incredible. Um, characteristics and questions and self-awareness that you're going through as you continue to start, as you continue to make the impact that you are making in your area of expertise. It's been an absolute pleasure to, do to, uh, pleasure to talk to you. How can people find you? What's the best way that they can find you if they've got any questions? Just jump on my LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way, Kelly Slesser. Excellent. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.